I didn't time that right. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here. So glad you're here. Uh, Heather and I have been a little sporadic the last several weeks. We moved, and, and then one thing that I highly recommend is a week after you move, go on vacation. It's awesome. You get a break from moving, and then you get to come home to a new place, and it's almost like unpacking all over again. Uh, but it was awesome. I got to uh, spend last week in Colorado, so the weather was much better than here. Uh, but I did get to enjoy the rain um, this past week, so uh, I'm glad to be back. We've got, a, we've got something pretty big happening in our community with all of our families this week, huh? It's back to school. The moment you dread, right? And, and some parents, this is the moment you thought would never come. It's like, please get them out of my house. But I just want to, if we could, um, I would like to just pray for our educators and our students. And uh, I would just, I don't, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but if you, if you are in education, if you are an administrator, a teacher, in any part of uh, educating our children and the next generation, if you're comfortable with this, would you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you. Can we say thank you? You have an incredible calling on your life, and, and I am grateful that you said yes to that calling. You make a difference every day. And uh, what I would like to do is I would like to pray for our, our educators as well as our students. So if you would mind just, just joining in with me as we pray. So Father, we, we love you and we, we know that you love our children. Jesus, your heart is for our children. You said don't hinder any one of them from coming to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And I thank you for the calling that you've placed on the educators in our, in our community. Thank you for the, the gifting that you give them Thank you for the patience that you give them, the energy and the strength that you give them. Thank you for that divine calling on their life to make an impact for generations to come. And I just pray that you anoint them. I know they're already back on campus. I pray that there's an anointing in their footsteps. I pray there's an anointing in their classroom. And God, we just we, we know that you'll never, we'll never get you out of the schools because you go where we go, because you dwell in us. And as the schools fill up with the temples of the Holy Spirit, I pray there's an anointing on every campus. God, I pray for the students. I pray that you give them, give them just a desire to, to learn and a desire to, to grow. And that, God, I just pray that you do a great work. Father, we do ask for your protection and ask for your safety over every one of our school campuses. May you protect every life, every teacher, every student, every person on campus. I pray for safety this year. God, I pray for an incredible year. I pray for this to be a year um, that marks significant changes in our teachers and our educators and our students. God, we love you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I love, I love our educators. I love that we got to be a part of equipping um, so many thousands of students in our communities to be able to go back to school well-prepared. We believe in, in kids having what they need. We believe in teachers having what they need. Uh, so if you're an educator or a student and you still need help, reach out to us. We will help you um, because we love you. We have your back. We support you. So thank you for that. Um, this week, we're starting a new series called Peace. And uh, we're calling this the art of peace because I think a lot of us learn the art of war really easily. Uh, we learn how to fight well, but we don't really learn how to walk in peace. 
And um, when I say peace, there's a, there's a word in, in, in Hebrew called shalom. And, and we just think it just means peace. We think, you know, when I was in Israel, you know, it was tossed out as a greeting like shalom, like hello, or when you're leaving, shalom, goodbye, goodbye, shalom. And it's a wish for peace. But, but it means something so much bigger than that. Shalom means this. It's completeness, it's wholeness, it's health, it's peace, it's welfare, it's safety and soundness, it's tranquility, it's prosperity, it's perfectness. Perfectness? Perfectness, yes. <laughs> I need to go back to school, been a long summer. Fullness, rest, harmony, and the absence of agitation or discord. When we hear a greeting Shalom, like when Jesus would enter into place and say, peace be with you, he's saying, shalom be with you. This fullness of peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It says absence of agitation or discord, that's on us, right? And so uh, the topics that we're going to work through to, to kind of operate in this art of peace are, are there some fun ones? And I know, I know, I know we all kind of struggle with these together, but it's the economy, it's world events, it's internal struggles that we have going on, and then I want to kick it off this weekend with relationships and having relational peace. Uh, relationships are messy, right, because people are broken, and because of our brokenness, it just inherently creates a mess in our relationships, and, uh, and we've all experienced a lack of peace. I want you to read with me Psalm 3. And then we're going to kick off from there. Uh, but Psalm 3, this is a psalm of David. And if you really just uh, read the heading, it starts out, save me, oh my God. So he's in despair, right? So when you first start this, you understand there's some, some despair happening. And then the subheading for this says, it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So there's strife and there's turmoil happening with David and his son, and David is on the run because his son is hunting him. This is the psalm. This is what David poured out from his heart. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then he pauses. Then he goes into it. But you, oh, Lord, are shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. And he stops and he considers that. When you see Selah in the Psalms, you see that he's pausing, he's considering this. It's a reflection. He goes on, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. That's a powerful psalm when you think, okay, David's having some conflict with his son. You know, because really, there ain't no pain like kid pain. I mean, when your kids are going through something or there's turmoil going on, it, it, it's heavy, it's deep, it is, it's hard. The relationships that are closest to us seem to be the ones that create the most turmoil because when we love deeply, it hurts deeply. But this is David pouring out his heart. I wanna go back and I wanna give you the details of the situation that's happening with his son Absalom. 
Go over to 2 Samuel chapter, we're gonna start in chapter 13, but we're gonna end up going from 13 to 18. But in, in 2 Samuel 13, you have, you have this setup. Verse one says, now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. So you've got Absalom and Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. So you got, you got, you got a, you've got the Old Testament happening here. <laughs> so you've got David that has Absalom and Tamar, that's brother and sister, and then Amnon, that's not a good situation. And now they're, now they're Amnon and Absalom and Tamar. It's, Amnon's like a half-brother, so it's like, you know, same father, different mother type thing. What? Well, this, this already starts going downhill. You go down to verse 14 uh, uh, in, uh, in chapter 13. I think it's verse 14. But he says, uh, he, would, he would not listen to her and being stronger than she was. This is Amnon being stronger than Tamar. He violated her and lay with her. So now you have, you have a terrible situation. You have turmoil in the family. Verse 21 says, uh, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister. You've got incredible conflict here. It goes on. Three years later, you go over into 2 Samuel chapter uh, 15. Or I'm sorry, you can still stay in 13. Um, where am I at? I'm losing my numbers. I need my glasses. 2 Samuel 14, verse 33. I'm sorry. I will get this right. But in verse 33, uh, okay, I just messed all that up. I think my notes are messed up. Anyway, let me just tell you the story. Because <laughs> I forgot my reading glasses and the words are all going around. And, and there's, just a, there's a lot happening in here right now and there's a lot happening in here right now. Uh, what happens is, is out of this, Absalom summons the brothers, all of his brothers. And then Am, Absalom ends up killing Amnon. And they believe that at this point, Absalom had killed all of David's sons. And so David gets word that all the sons are dead. So he goes into mourning and he's in despair. When he finds out that his other sons were not dead, it was just Absalom who killed Amnon. David was still angry and he mourned for Amnon. And then you have another two years go by without anything. There's separation. And then finally, Absalom is brought back to Jerusalem and for another several years does not interact with his father. Then Absalom's heart grows against his father in this. And Absalom stands outside of the city gate. So as people were coming to King David and his King David's court, he would intervene with them and say, I can help you with that. And what Absalom starts doing is building a conspiracy. He builds a coup against his father. He then builds this coup and builds an army and then he goes out of Jerusalem and he says, when you hear the trumpets blow, then you say Absalom is king over all of Israel and we're gonna go take Israel. David gets wind of this through his advisors. David's heart is broken, it's crushed. 
And instead of fighting his son, David flees Jerusalem. He takes the army and he flees Jerusalem. And he's hiding out in a cave. He's hiding out from his son and the army that's coming against him, led by his son. And he writes, save me, oh my God. So many are my enemies around me. He didn't mention in that, my son is leading the charge against me. Save me. And he cries out to God and he's considering this. But then somewhere in that, he finds the peace, right? Because he says, I could lay down and sleep and it was the Lord who sustained me. People were telling me I'm not saved. I can't be saved. There's no salvation for me in God. But he ends that with salvation belongs to the Lord. And so Absalom and the army start coming after David and there's, gonna, there's a fight and David is gonna go out against his son and his advisors say, David, this isn't a battle. You need to, be, you need to stay at the gate. But he gives an order to his commanders. You are to deal gently with my son. He's still my son and I love him. You are to deal gently with him. So then the fight happens. The armies come against each other. And Absalom, one of the things that he was known for was his, his, his good looks. I mean, think Fabio, right? His hair was part of his glory. And he's riding through the forest, and all of a sudden he gets hung in a tree. And he's, he's stuck. He's done. And Joab, one of David's generals and advisors, sees this, and he and several of his men stab Absalom. David writes this psalm not knowing the outcome yet. And they come back and they tell David, it's done. David's heart, when you go to 2 Samuel 18, you see the heart of David. What about my son? Tell me about my son. Where's my son? And they inform him he's, he's, he's dead. And David weeps and he mourns for his son. Because this is not the outcome David wanted. This is, this is not just a lack of peace in relationship. This is all out war. And some of you feel that way. Some of you have so much relational turmoil right now that it feels like a war going on within your mind, within your emotions. It's affecting you physically, it's affecting you mentally, and it's affecting you spiritually. And we start to reconcile, can there be anything to help me? Is there anything to fix this? Is there anything I can do to make a difference in this? And I would call us all back to Psalm 3. I mean, let's break down the pauses from, from, from David here. It says, he says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There is an absolute turmoil happening in the mind and the heart of David. And what we have to understand that, that, that we're seeing this from the heart of God. This is God's word. This is God speaking to us that there will be conflict in our relationships and things can seem out of control. All David knows is he's running and the landslides happened. I got to see the effects of a landslide last week, a week before last when we were in Colorado. 
there is a, there's, there's some spots that I love to hike to every time I'm there. And there's one spot, there's one lake, it translates called the Lake of, of Boulders. This lake is a glacial lake. It's at 10,211 feet of elevation, so it was nice and cool. But I was there in October of last year and sat on a boulder, kind of jutting out into the lake, and I took this picture. And there are times that I go back to this picture a lot because there was, it's just peace. I mean, you go up there and it is absolutely gorgeous. And I can think. And I love to be outside in creation. I don't worship creation. I worship the creator because he's good enough to make all this. But if you look off in the distance above that lake, you see a rock face. Well, a couple days before I went up there this trip, there had been a landslide. And this is the effects of the landslide on that. Part of the face of that mountain is gone. Three days after the landslide occurred, I could sit there in silence and still hear boulders falling. And what happened is all the sediment from the mountain coming down muddied the waters. It turned the water like a milky color. And the rangers said that's the lime in the, in the rock. And they said it won't be like that for long. After a couple days to a week, maybe 10 days, the water will filter it all out and it'll be clear again. Why do I show you that? There's moments in our life where things are good, right? It feels like there's peace around. You know, our relationships are fine. And then all of a sudden, something causes a landslide. It, you may have caused it. Someone else may have caused it. It doesn't matter who caused it. The rocks have fallen. And the problem is it muddies the water for a while. And when we get into that spiral of the muddy water, we think that this is how it's always going to be. We think everything is gone. This can never be fixed. But God is in control. And when things seem out of control, God is in control fully. That the water will flow clear again. That yeah, there's, there's something happened. There's an event. But listen, God can, God can bring redemption out of that. And what I would just say in this is when we get into that moment, because we all do, listen, relationships are tough anyway, but they just seem a lot tougher now. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I could pinpoint anything, but I think having the isolation that we've had um, affects us because we're not designed to be alone. We're relational beings. We're created in the image of God to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. And it just seems like the enemy is just working so hard lately that he wants to destroy relationships. His goal is to still kill and destroy. He wants to steal relationships from you. He wants to kill relationships. He wants to utterly destroy relationships in your life. And sometimes I feel like he's, he's, he's gaining more ground than, than, I can, than I can take back. 
But when you get into that moment where you feel like you're in the spiral, I would say the first thing to do is stop the spiral. You gotta get in a quiet place and realize this truth. You are in control of you. I can't control you. I can't control your reactions and I can't control how you choose to respond. All I can do is know this, I can control me. I can control what I'm gonna do and what I'm gonna say. And honestly, when I can get into that moment and just get quiet and realize I'm in control here of me, not of y'all, but of me, that changes that spiral because I start looking at it a little bit differently. But I also have to realize that I'm in control of letting other people steal my peace. Hebrews 10 tells us, don't throw away your confidence. But we throw a lot of other things away too. And I feel like we willingly let people steal our peace. We willingly let people steal joy. And you stop the spiral and then you gotta shift the focus. I mean, look at verse three. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So David goes in the spiral There's so many people. There's thousands of people after me. My son is after me. This relationship, my family is in in turmoil and this is painful and this is awful and, and there's nothing, I don't feel like there's anything I can do. They say there's no salvation for me in God, which means I have no hope to shifting the focus, but you, oh Lord, you, God, are a shield about me. You protect me. But listen, he says, you're the glory, you're my glory, and the lifter of my head. What I, what I, what I picture in that is we get so focused like this in the spiral of hopelessness that the hand of God reaches down and he just takes our chin and he draws us up and he lifts our head to see a savior over a situation, that he sits on the throne above everything we face that he is the name above every name, that over every conflict, over fear, anxiety, shame, all that, but listen, over every conflict, he sits on the throne. And he's lifting our chin to say, come on, son, look up, look up. You keep looking at this, you're gonna keep spiraling down. Look up. There's a different place and different focus that he brings into our life. And he protects our peace with his shield and lifts our head to focus on him. And if we want peace, if we want true peace, if we want shalom peace, we've got to let him lift our head because the only way we're going to get that is in his presence. And no, I don't just mean when we die and go to heaven. His presence, his peace has fullness now in the here and the now, in everything we face. And in the presence of God is where that focus changes. It takes the focus off of me and it takes the focus off of the conflict. And and listen, I have to realize that me, my desires, my resources, none of that can provide peace. There's nothing that I have other than the Holy Spirit's power in me bringing me into his presence that's gonna produce peace Real peace, lasting peace. And David cries out, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Listen, he said, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. You may be in the most difficult relational situation that you've ever faced, but God is still right there. 
and he promises his presence right there. Wherever we are, when we cry out to him, he hears, he answers from his holy hill. That's his throne. That's a place far above the landslide. That's a place far above our perspective of this is never going to get better and this is never going to change. And David says, you, O Lord. And listen, Jesus does give us in the New Testament of Matthew 18 a way to deal with this conflict in the presence of God. I mean, Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between him and you alone. If that doesn't work, then you need to bring in some witnesses here. If that doesn't work, you need to go to the church. And if that doesn't work, then you just need to release them. But this is where at the end of this little situation where Jesus is teaching us how to deal with relational conflict, this is where we pull this scripture verse out of context where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. This is in the context of relational context, uh, conflict. So Jesus not only promises his peace in the conflict, but listen, if we're willing to submit to him and let him do a work in us and do a work in the situation, he not only promises to protect our peace in that conflict, but he says, but I'll be with you. You don't go fight alone. You don't do this by yourself. That Jesus promises that every single time. He's present in the conflict. He lifts our head to the peace. And it's a tangible peace. You know, we, can, we, we do a whole lot of lip service in relationships. No, I'm good. No, really, is everything right? No, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. That's not tangible peace. Let me show you some tangible peace that David got when his son was hunting him down. I lay down and slept. How many of y'all sleep when your kids are messing up? How many of y'all sleep well when things at work are just seem to be in that spiral? You ain't sleeping. David said, my son's hunting me down and trying to take the throne and take my life away from me. And I lay down and slept. I woke again because the Lord sustained me. That's tangible. That's tangible. And he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Why? Because I can find rest in the presence of God. I can find a peace that moves beyond understanding in the presence of God. I can find a friend and a warrior and a friend who sticks closer than a brother in the presence of God and his name is Jesus. Every single time. That gives him a confidence. He's got confidence. Say, hey, there's thousands of people that are after me, but I'm all right. Bring it on. I'm good. I will be good through this conflict. And I'm going to trust you. So peace in this conflict comes. Let me just share with you because this is another one of those coffee cup verses that I always feel like I need to explain. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious about nothing. That's hard to do. I'm telling you, that's hard to do. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's just prayer and asking God, bringing your request to him. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Um, I don't know if this will help you. I'll just tell you what I do when I start getting anxious. I just start thanking God. And listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. There are times when I'm, I'm so balled up that God just says, thank me. And I've literally sat in my truck and, and told God, for what? That's not a response I would recommend, okay? Because <laughs> God will bring discipline. He disciplines those he's loved and he showed me he loved me very much in that moment. But I just felt God say, thank me for your breath you just took. Listen, there have been times in my life I was so far into that spiral of anxiety that all I could do when God said to thank me is thank you for that breath. That's it. And God says, thank me again. And all I could muster up is thank you for that breath. And I did that for a while. Thank you for that breath. Thank you. He's like, thank me, thank me, thank me. But as I started thanking him, you know what happens is the presence of God comes in and he lifts my head and I see so much more to be thankful for. And I can move into a process. Thank you that you're on the throne. Thank you that you're over all this and I'm not. Thank you that you're God. Thank you that you've already seen the end of all of this and you've not only seen the end of it, but you've seen the end of it to the fullness of your glory. Thank you. And as I start thanking him, there's just this, this power through the Holy Spirit and this presence that starts bringing a peace. And I can't explain it, but he sets that. You, oh Lord, are a shield about me. That shield starts to cover my heart. So my brokenness of heart starts to be, to be firmed up. And I just feel the protection and the hand of God around my heart. And then my mind, because I think, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't see how this is going to go well. I don't see what's going to happen here. That protection, that peace of God that I can't understand starts setting a shield about my mind. And I start thinking because the very next part that it goes into with Paul after four, six, and seven is he gets into our thought process. Think on things that are holy. Think on things that are pure. Think on things that are noble. Think on things that are trustworthy. Think on things that are praiseworthy. And when he sets that guard over my mind, I can turn my thoughts to him and find true peace in it. And then something beautiful happens. I then start anticipating a victory here. Not just, God, we're gonna get through this, come hell or high water. No, I start anticipating Anticipating a victory because he is the God of victory. He has it on the other side and he's got the fullness of it on the other side. And what happens is David, he starts lifting his head in this and he starts anticipating the victory. He says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you. They tell me there's no hope for me, but salvation is yours. Salvation is yours and victory is yours. And David says, that is where I will plant myself. Salvation belongs to you, O God. Your blessing be on your people. And he ends that with a pause. So it says, Drop the mic, think about that. There is a victory that God wants to walk us through. And too often, we kill it before it can happen. David said, you deal gently with my boy. And Joab did not. How many of us 
cast a spear into the conflict and, and destroy relationship and destroy reconciliation. Because we think the only way to the victory is to destroy that person. God's the author. God's the author of relationships. And yeah, we're broken. But from the moment in Genesis 3 when we broke relationship with God, he immediately started reconciliation. Immediately. Well, no, that was way before the cross. You read it. He disciplines Adam and Eve. I told you this would happen if you did that. But they covered themselves with leaves. But God covered them with an animal skin. Because God knows what it takes for reconciliation. It takes death. It means me dying to my pride. It means me dying to my desires. It means me dying to the need to be right. It means me dying to the need to defend myself and just say, Jesus, I'm, I'm dead. It is no longer I who live, but you who live in me. And you are the victor, so would you live this out through me? So I walk in this. So I walk in that peace. Listen, some of y'all are in that right now. You're in the spiral and you feel out of control and you're losing sleep and it's wearing you out. And I would just, I'll just say, cry out to God. Just do it, David. It saved me, oh my God. Would you come into this situation, God? Would you do something? Would you do something in me? Listen, I can't tell you when. I can't tell you if the relationship's gonna change. I wish I could. I can't tell you how it's gonna turn out. I wish I could. But what I can tell you is God is in control. And if you will submit to him and trust him, that's where we see the victory. And I feel like the timeline was super important because a lot of us go, well, God, I turned it over to you. Why isn't this fixed? It took years, years. Two years here, three years there, two years here. You're not the author of the victory God is. Trust him, submit to him. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, there's no salvation for me in God. But you are Lord, our shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to you and you answered me from your holy hill. I lay down and I slept. I woke again because you sustained me. I will not be afraid of people or their thoughts or their accusations or their words and how they set themselves against me. Arise, Lord, save me, oh my God, for you are the one who deals with those who set themselves against me. Salvation is yours. Your blessing be on your people. Shalom. Father, we love you so much. Lord, relationships are hard, but they're worth it. We're all surrounded with conflict. 
And that can breed hopelessness. And I'm asking you, please, Lord, lift our heads to you. Protect the peace that you cultivate in us. Give us rest. Take away our fear and give us, restore to us the confidence that comes from you. We believe that you are the God of salvation and victory is yours. And God, I just pray for humility, repentance, and reconciliation. God, I pray that you give us the peace of your heart. Amen.